0: Now as we get into our study, part one of our new series entitled Relational Status, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now this is a very important subject for the Christian and those that are in relationships with non-Christians, those that were both maybe non-Christian and then one gets saved or maybe you're married or single or widowed. In chapter 6, and this was going on three weeks ago, we concluded with a very strong instructional passage regarding sexuality and purity. Now, some of the things that we're going to be covering today are of adult nature, and I've done my best to try to... mask that as best as I can, but if you're sitting in the family room or other places, just please be aware uh, that this is the subject matter for our service today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 18 through 20, Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body, as a Christian, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That you and me, that we were purchased out of slavery of sin, and we were set free. And remember, whom the Son sets free is free. Indeed. We've been set free from sin. We've been bought with a price. And so he says, because you are not your own, because you belong to the Lord, glorify him with everything that is in you and everything that you do. Now, as we continue on, we know that there had been some correspondence between the Corinthian church and with Paul the apostle. See, the church in Corinth had not only received letters from Paul, but have written to him as well. And if you have been tracking with us this whole way, you might have been wondering, how in the world do you know that they have written back and forth with each other? Well, I actually know this because the Lord has given me a divine revelation, which is verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 7, which leads us to point number 1, which I have entitled, Do Not Touch a Woman. Don't worry, we'll explain exactly what that means. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, Paul says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now when you're reading this, it is good for a man not to touch a woman? What does that mean? Well, I can tell you that this doesn't mean that girls have cooties or that you should dodge women as you're walking outside. Like, whoa, don't touch me. Whoa, 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 holiness, holiness. You know, like that kind of thing. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean you're out there dodging women on your path. The only recommendation I would give you is to dodge dodgy women, but that's for another time. Now, remember, Paul is writing to a church that is in an extremely wicked situation and sexually immoral city. He warns them against the dangers and the sin of sexual immorality, but he doesn't leave them there. He doesn't say, you know what? You're involved in sexual immorality. You shouldn't be doing that. That's it. That's done. No, he doesn't leave them there. When it says not to touch a woman, it literally means to not have sex with just any woman. But not just that. He says, it is good for a man for a man to not touch a woman. In the original language in the Greek that word good can be translated as this beautiful, handsome, excellent, precious, commendable, admirable, genuine, approved and praiseworthy. It is praiseworthy for a man to not just have sex with any woman. For you to not be going around just having physical relationships with women. Remember, there in the city of Corinth was the temple of Aphrodite where the goddesses, uh, priestesses would come down and solicit men and show them how they worship their goddess of sex. Sexual immorality. For us today... What a concept this is. And what a concept this was for the Corinthians. I don't know if you've noticed this, but entire social subcultures statuses are founded upon how many people you can have intimate relationships with. It may make you cool. It makes you legendary. In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18 Paul said, Flee sexual immorality, because every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. It grieves the Lord when his sons and his daughters are sexually promiscuous and when his creation perverts that which is good. See, when you're single, the world says, The longer the list, the better. The longer the list of people that you've connected with in that way, the better. But then you get married. You've met the one, and I can tell you, the shorter the list, the better. Paul writes and says that the follower of Jesus is not to get emotionally, mentally, or physically involved with someone in a romantic nature just because so often singles are bored. And they date someone. You don't do that because you have nothing better to do. Often, we'll see people get emotionally involved with someone they know they're not supposed to be with. But they've showed them attention. Or really they have nothing better to do and they think they can have some fun out of it. And then you're dating somebody or with somebody that you know you're not supposed to be. And then you become more concerned with hurting their feelings by breaking up with them than with what God has commanded you to do. And you've become involved now where you're not thinking clearly anymore. You're emotionally connected. You might have gotten physically connected. And everybody knows that has ever been in that kind of situation. You don't think clearly. Once those things happen and emotions are involved and physical interaction is involved, you get sucked into the vortex, if you will, and it's just like "Ah," all around you. And your friends are like, no, and you can't see it because you're right there in the middle of it. See, we need to guard our thoughts, guard our emotions, and guard our sexuality. No matter how much the world cheapens it and downplays its importance, we must hold to what God's word says. I can't tell you, I can't tell you how many times over the last 13 years or so now, I've sat in counseling appointments with both men and women who have been devastated by a breakup. They sought a relationship with someone without seeking God's will and went down a path with someone without the blessing of the Lord. See, it's too late to start dating somebody and then ask the Lord if this is His will. So often we'll go down a path and then we get to a certain point, maybe it's a few months in or whatever, and like, Lord, is this really Your will for me? That is too late. That is too late of a time to start asking if it's the Lord's will once you've already gone down that path. Months go by. Multiple dates have taken place and then we decide to pray. It's good to not touch the romantic relationship until it's the right time. From the New Living Translation, the Song of Songs, known as the Song of Solomon. It says not to awaken love until the time is right. And so you protect your heart and you protect theirs too. Oftentimes people will break up and they'll say in the world, nothing gets you over the last one like the next one. You start becoming more concerned with what you can get out of it and you start hardening your heart because maybe you don't want to get hurt again and so you turn off because somebody hurt you and then you become the very thing to somebody else that you didn't like that happened to you. Protect yourself and protect them too. Be considerate of the other person's emotions and tread lightly into any type of relationship. So flee sexual immorality, and it's good to not touch a woman? How in the world am I, as a red-blooded male, escape sexual immorality? How am I who have a desire to be intimate with somebody, escape sexual immorality. If it says flee sexual immorality and do not touch a woman, what do I do? I want to live. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, well, I want to live pure before the Lord. I want to be holy as he is holy, but I have sexual desires. Well, the Lord has given you sexual desires. He created those desires. Yet some, they don't have the desire to be married or to participate in procreation. It's called the gift of celibacy, and people have debated whether that's a gift or not, but the fact remains the same. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, all cannot accept the same, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who are made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it let him accept it. And Maybe you're in that category that says, I can't accept that. Well, there's more of you than you might think. You have a desire to be married, and you want to meet the one. And if you're real, they must be real. And as a side note, every single person will ask a married person, I don't know if you're single here today or not, Usually I'll have you raise your hand and then stand and have you look around. Uh, it helps sometimes. But uh, every single person will ask the married couple. So how did you know that you know Ruth was the right one? How did you know that you know Garrett was the guy you were supposed to marry? Every single single person asks that. Now, How did you know? Like just like what was it? How did you know, man? And it's been asked of blondes and brunettes and redheads and baldheads. And they all say the same thing. Don't worry, you'll know. And every single person thinks that's the most ridiculous answer they have ever heard in their entire life. I remember, because I asked that question. Like, how do you know? And they're like, hey, don't worry, you'll know. I'm like, what's that supposed to mean? I will know. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. It's admirable for a man to not touch a woman. It's the right thing to do to not become physically intimate with a woman unless dot, 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 which is point number two now, unless she's your wife. Unless she's your wife. Period. Period. And that's why he says in verse 2, remember, point number 1, do not touch a woman. And then point number 2, unless she's your wife. Verse 2, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Now, marriage is ordained by God. He instituted it in which a man and a woman experience the deepest, most intimate relationship that you can experience on the face of this earth, the relationship between a man and his wife. This is very fresh with me because yesterday, our very own Amy Jacobs married Jared Cook, and I was able to perform their marriage. Marriage is ordained by God, and congratulations, uh, Amy and, and Jared, wherever you guys may be at today. Yes, good job. You guys both did well. Marriage is ordained by God. And as it's been said, marriage is an institution in which a man loses his bachelor's degree and the woman gets her master's. End of quote. <laughs> so because of sexual immorality, or really to was it could be literally translated to avoid sexual immorality, have your very own spouse. Let a man have his own woman, and let the woman have her own man. Let the man have his own woman, and let the woman have her own man. What does this do for the relational dynamics between men and women? What happens in a society where women are not objectified and where men have respect for women? If you're not to touch a woman or get involved sexually, intimately with somebody that's not your wife, how do the relationship dynamics change? Macro level and even micro level. What happens when women are concerned with the emotional well-being of men? And you know, men have feelings too and they do get hurt, even as women do. What happens when a woman is concerned with the emotional well-being of the man and doesn't lead them on or use their sexuality to allure them. I think modesty is something that's very underrated today. What happens when man and woman live in the confines of God's instruction and enjoy each other the way God intended it to be so? It's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. And on top of it, you are not committing sexual immorality when you're intimate with your spouse. So you don't have the debatable gift of celibacy and you don't want to be committing sexual immorality. Then you need to be praying for a husband, ladies, or for a wife, men. And it can be hard. We live in a sexually driven society. Everything you see, you can't even get a cheeseburger without it being, you know, sexually (laughs) advertised. And it's the way that it is. How do I guard my mind? How do I guard my eyes? Well, one thing that I might just add as a little side note would be that if you ever feel, ladies, like you're lonely, you're wishing you could be married, or whatever it might be, pray for your husband. By praying for your husband, even though you may not have met him yet, Maybe you're hoping that you haven't met him yet, but uh, from the guys that you know already, but uh, maybe you're at that point where you're like, I, I really want to get married. And you're battling with maybe insecurity or loneliness or whatever it might be. By praying for your husband, you know that God knows who your husband is and that you will be counter you'll really be counteracting the attack of Satan to cause you to be in despair and you'll be praying for your husband who you may not have even met yet, which is something you're going to do after you meet and after you get married and hopefully until the day that death separates you. For men, you see an attractive woman and you're just saying, oh, I'm admiring God's creation. No, that's not the way that it works. No, when you see an attractive woman, pray for your wife. And this goes for married and singles. Because for one, you'll be counteracting now the lusts of the eyes, and Satan would like to lure you into lusting after something, you'll be immediately, Lord, I pray for my wife, whoever she may be, or maybe you know who she is because you're married to her. Lord, I pray for my wife, bless her, strengthen her, help her, you're counteracting the attacks of Satan, and you're doing what you should be doing as a godly man. And that's why it says here in verse 3, let the husband... Render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Now, I really like this word render because it means to give away for one's own profit what is one's own. Meaning, I own this, and I'm going to give it away, and it's going to profit me. See, the husband gives to the wife what belongs to him, and the wife gives to her husband what belongs to her, and they both are blessed by it. Now, there are certain mental, emotional, and physical needs that husbands and wives have which can only be met in a marriage relationship. I mean, you may say, hey, As the man, I got physical needs and she's got emotional needs. Well, it doesn't matter. They're all interconnected. When you're rendering the affection due to your spouse to someone that is not your spouse, you're giving away something to that person that doesn't belong to them. Quite frankly, it belongs to somebody else, namely your husband or your wife. When you give yourself away sexually to someone that's not your spouse, contrary to popular belief, you're investing in something that does not have a return. You invest in your spouse, and you return some major dividends. And might I add, in perpetuity. In verse 4, it says, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, reading this and looking at this at face value, you might say, what does this mean exactly? Am I to be at his beck and call? This is speaking of the power that you have in regards to physical interaction with your spouse. That There is a power there. The husband has the ability to meet the needs of his wife. And likewise, the wife has the ability to meet those needs of her husband. Not having authority, and this is very interesting, not having authority over your own body is understanding the mystery of the two becoming one in marriage. There are no longer two separate individuals, but the husband and the wife have become one in Christ. And so what you do as the husband will immediately affect the wife, and what you do as the wife will immediately affect the husband. So, ladies, You belong to your husband, and men, you belong to your wife, and you render to each other what belongs to the other person. And so I belong to Ruth, and Ruth belongs to me. Your body belongs to your spouse, and that is a mutual truth for both husband and wife. Let me tell you, and you husbands know about this. When a wife gives her husband a kiss on the cheek, next thing you know, he's turned into a superhero. I have superpowers. When she says, you go get him, babe, I'm like, I will go get him. I will. And, that, and, that, and that's the way that it works. And it's good. There, there is a power there. And it can be used in the right way. And likewise, ladies, you know the things that a man can do that makes all of the women in the audience go, aww. You know that stuff that guys can do that touches your heart. With this concept of authority over one's body, When the husband, listen to this, when the husband makes advances to his wife, she feels attractive and loved. Remember, I'm exercising this authority. Wait, wait, she belongs to me, and so I'm making these advances to her, and she feels attractive, and she feels loved. He's taking authority over her body. When the wife has the hots for her husband, He feels manly and very content. My wife's attracted to me. You go get him, you strong man, or whatever it might be. (laughs) Physical intimacy should not be used as a tool for manipulation. Physical intimacy should be practiced regularly between husband and wife, deeming the other person better than yourself. In verse 5, it says, Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. In the Greek language, that word deprive literally means to defraud or to rob. When a spouse chooses to not allow physical intimacy, that spouse is in the wrong. And now listen, there are many factors for being smart, romantic, and wooing your spouse, so don't get me wrong here. But when it comes to the point of deprivation, that is the area that Satan likes to work in a marriage. For a man... He may emotionally check out and Satan may entice him with the lusts of the flesh. For a woman, she may be tempted by Satan with someone that's paying particularly extra attention to her and is emotionally available. So he says, don't deprive one another or defraud one another of this physical intimacy that you should be having as husband and wife. But yet he gives a concession and he actually mentions that in the verses uh, below here. He says, unless... It's a mutual decision to give yourself to fasting and prayer. Now, this is something that is not talked about, I don't know, hardly at all, in marriage counseling or in romantic relationship building. Prayer and fasting. There's not a quicker way to strengthen a marriage than by doing these two things. There is not a more powerful way to shut down the attack of the enemy in your marriage than by praying and fasting together. Some people think, well, we need a romantic getaway. We need to reignite the spark again. No, it's prayer and fasting. Listen, if we're honest with ourselves, no one gets married for it to not work out. By all means... Mary, if you get a good wife, you'll be happy. And if you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. And that was a quote from Socrates. I bet you can guess which end of the stick he believed he received. (laughs) Do not deprive one another, it says in verse 5, except with consent for a time, that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of of self-control so you take a break but don't take one for too long coming together as husband and wife protects you against the temptations of satan but prayer and fasting imagine a couple that might be having problems the last thing that you want to do is pray isn't that the truth and it doesn't matter if you're having problems or not the last thing you want to do is not eat So you take this dynamic of prayer and fasting and you enter into the spiritual realm in a powerful way as husband and wife and you'll see your marriage recharged. You'll see your marriage strengthened. He says if you're going to take a break from that physical side of things, pray and fast with one another. And even if you're not taking a break, prayer and fasting is an amazing thing that you can do as husband and wife. It's a very, very powerful thing. And this is what he says as a concession, verse 6, not as a commandment. I really like what Pastor David Guzik said. He pastors Calvary Chapel in Santa Barbara, and uh, he's a, a good acquaintance of mine. But he said this on this passage, and I quote, God makes it clear that there is nothing wrong and everything right about sex and marriage. Satan's great strategy when it comes to sex is to do everything he can to encourage sex outside of marriage and to discourage sex within marriage, end of quote. So, pay attention to those things. Listen to what God's Word says. If you're married, there's a lot of great instruction. And two, if you're single, file these things away and how you conduct yourself and that you're not touching a woman. And what exactly that means and same for you ladies that you're not touching a man in a way that should only be done between husband and wife and after you have sought the Lord and you have made that commitment he says for I wish verse 7 that all men were even as myself but each one has his own gift from God one in this manner and another in that but I say verse 8 To the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. Now, Paul at this point is single. We do believe that Paul at some point in his life was indeed married, and we know this because he was a rabbi, and rabbis had to be married, they had to have a wife. And so either his wife died or she left him when he converted to Christianity. And it has been the tradition throughout church history that it was the latter, that once he converted to Christianity, that his wife left him. His gifting, Paul's gifting, and what he's referring to personally, was the ability to exercise self-control when it came to that area. But he concedes that some have that gift in that area, and some have gifts in other areas. If you can be single, then that's good. But if they cannot, verse 9, exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, we could conclude with what Paul just said as a self-explanatory message in verse 9. However, this verse has been used, unfortunately, as a pretext for some very poor decision-making ...by individuals that are, quote-unquote, burning with passion. There have been couples that are Christians... And they're dating, and they're extremely attracted to each other. Now, if you're attracted to the person that you're with, I think that's a very good thing. Because if you're not attracted, I hate to break it to you, it's not going to work out. You need to be attracted to your spouse. I wouldn't recommend marrying someone that you are repulsed by. Uh, It's just never a good idea. However, being attracted to someone doesn't mean you're to marry that person. You're attracted to them. It doesn't mean, well, hey, you know, because so often, hey, I'm a Christian and you're a Christian. Are you cool? Yeah, I'm cool. Okay, it's cool. Just because you're attracted to someone doesn't mean that you're to marry them. Well, doesn't it say that, you know, if you're burning with passion, it's better to marry than to, you know, commit sexual immorality? Well, people have used this verse inappropriately for marriage man, I want to be intimate with this person, so I might as well get married so I can have the act sanctioned by God. I might as well get married because I'm so attracted to this person right now. You know, there you are, you're sitting on the couch, and you're just looking into her eyes, and you're like, whoa. And then she's sitting on the other side of the couch, and she's looking into your eyes, and she's like, And then literally God's like, whoa, hold up you two, leave some room for the Holy Spirit there, like that kind of thing. This is not grounds to get married. We're attracted to each other and it says, hey, if we can't exercise self-control, then we might as well get married. We've been dating for two weeks, we really like each other, let's get married and it's okay. Listen, you do that and it will mess your life up. You don't make a decision, which is one of the biggest decisions in your entire life, to marry somebody because you have sexual desires. You don't get married so that you can be intimate. You get married because you have sought the Lord and He has given you the green light to commit yourself to someone until you're dead. This means for the rest of your life, you're going to be with that person. So you better know if it's the right person or not. And just in conclusion, because we're going to be ending our service here in just a moment, and I feel like this needs to be said. Intimacy then comes secondarily to your commitment to your spouse. It is commitment then intimate because intimate does not mean commitment. And we've seen that with heartbroken people who have been intimate thinking that that equaled commitment and commitment is what you need first before you're intimate with somebody. It is good to not touch a woman unless she's your wife. It is good to not touch a man unless he is your husband commitment then intimate intimate doesn't equal commitment oh we're getting really serious we're moving in together that's not commitment you're getting intimate before there's the commitment so you commit yourself to the lord you go down a path after you've prayed about it and after you've sought the lord you make a commitment to that person and you get married to them And then intimacy follows suit. You're abstaining from sexual immorality. You're honoring God in your commitments. And furthermore, look what happens to society if men and women treated each other the way that God would have them treat each other. Look what happens in the culture of a country when men and women don't cheapen sexuality. They don't lower it, lessen it. They actually guard it and protect their own and the one that they're with. Guarding those things. That's what honors the Lord. That's what's pleasing to Him. And that concludes part one of our four-part series entitled Relational Status let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, that you have given us such clear instruction on what it means to be a godly man or a godly woman. I thank you, Lord, that as we go through your word, that we can cover these things that are so important. Sometimes, you know, we we shy away from talking about certain things, but I thank you, Lord, that we have this platform. We have this, really, this guidebook, the authoritative word of Almighty God, to look at, and to apply to our lives. And Lord, I ask that today, if there's anybody struggling with any of the areas that were touched on today, that you would minister to them and that you would help them. Lord, I pray for any that are here today that do not know you personally as their Lord and Savior. Lord, maybe they were invited by a friend today. Maybe they came with a family member. Or maybe they're like, I haven't been to church in so long. Let me look up a church on Yelp and they're here. Lord, I ask that right now, if there are those here that maybe have experienced the ripoffs of bad relationships, they've felt tainted, jaded, they've felt, Lord, that they're, they're filthy before you maybe, even they don't know how to get rid of that or to ever have a good, pure, and right relationship with somebody else, I pray that they would know today how much you love them. And that you sent your only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for the sins of the world, which means their sins. They can be forgiven, cleansed, washed. Lord, maybe there are some here that have been involved sexually. And they're wondering how they could ever have that good relationship with their spouse one day. I know that you make all things new and that a godly relationship will be blessed by you regardless of the past. And Lord, I pray, if there are any here today that have walked away from you, Lord, maybe at one point in their younger years, they were walking closely with you, but they have backslid and they have gone sideways. They have gone off the path, but they're here today hearing these things, Lord, and knowing that they need to get right with you. I pray, Father, that you would please, Help them now to recommit their life to you. And I also pray, Lord, for those that are here that maybe do not know you. They've never put their faith in you. They know of you. Maybe they've heard some stories from the Bible. Maybe they went to Sunday school. Or maybe they've never been to church before today. I thank you, Lord, that you know them. You know who that man is, Lord. You know who that woman is right now. And Lord, you know every sin that they would ever commit before they were even born. And you still sent Jesus to die on the cross for them. And so, Lord, I pray that right now they would receive forgiveness of sins and newness of life, that they would make that decision today to put their trust, their hope, their faith in you And with every eye closed and head bowed, if you're here this morning, and maybe you're one of those that said, you know what? I need to recommit my life to the Lord because I'm honest with myself and I've walked away. I'm not where I should be. I need to get right with the Lord today. If that's you, with every eye closed, nobody's looking around, with every head bowed, and that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, yes, that's me. I would like to recommit my life to Jesus today. Would you hold your hand up so I can lead you in a very simple prayer? And then also, And if you're watching online or on Facebook, you can do the same, right where you're at. If you've never put your faith in Jesus and you like to be forgiven of your sins, we're not guaranteed tomorrow, today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. And so I'm going to ask that if you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus and you like to be forgiven of your sins, that you would also just raise your hand too and say, yes, I would like to be forgiven of my sins. Would you just hold your hand up so I can see it? And I'd like to lead you in a a very simple prayer. And if you're online again, you can do the same as well. I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer, and I'm going to ask that you would please repeat this after me and mean it in your heart and say this. Dear Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me of my sin and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you love me, even knowing everything about me, I thank you that you died on the cross for my sins, and I thank you that you have forgiven me now. Would you fill me with your love, and your joy, and your peace, and give me your strength that I may be who you've created me to be, for I give control of my life to you.